Okay, so if you have a Bible, you can open to Revelation chapter 13. Uh, the text is also printed in the, in the bulletin. Uh, there's a lot for us to consider this morning, so I do want to dive right into the reading. Uh, but I think it'd be helpful if um, first we had some of the basic meanings of the major symbols of this chapter in mind as we read through the passage. Uh, <clears throat> the dragon, as we uh, saw last week, the dragon is the devil, he's Satan. He's, uh, he's making war on God's people, and he does it by empowering two beasts. That's what's happening in this chapter. He's empowering two beasts to come together against God's people. One is the, a beast from the sea, and one is the beast from the earth or from the land. And so the dragon, again, as we saw last week, the dragon is the devil himself. He's our chief enemy. A beast in the scriptures uh, frequently is a, a symbol. It's a biblical symbol for uh, authorities of nations, national authorities, national governments, or rulers, kings even. Uh, and it's a beast as a um, as sort of a, opposed to the domesticated animals of scripture. Uh, it's a beast. It's a wild animal. It's an unruly animal. It's an animal that is hostile to, to humanity. And so a beast is um, sort of one of these national authorities that uh, we find working against uh, God and his people. The sea represents the Gentile nations of the world that are in rebellion against God, and the land, the earth here, uh, so many times in this passage, uh, represents the Jews. So the sea is the Gentiles, the land is the Jews who reject Christ in unbelief. So basically this chapter is about the devil creating an unholy alliance between the imperial authorities of Rome, that that beast from the sea is described with the same language that we find in uh, Daniel chapter 7 that Sarah just read in our Old Testament reading, and it's, it's Rome, right? So the imperial authorities of Rome and the religious authorities of Jerusalem. That's the unholy alliance that the, the devil is creating. So it's Jews and Gentiles united, but united in their violence against the true people of God. So it's a mock unity, right? There's a unity, there's a real unity here, but it's a, a mock unity, it's a counterfeit unity that we see between Rome and Jerusalem, so it's an infernal parody of the true unity of the body of Christ, where we have Jews and Gentiles brought together in the same body of Christ, but it's, it's a peaceful unity. It's one characterized by love rather than uh, one uh, characterized by just a mutual enemy and violence. So, in fact, this whole chapter is chock full of counterfeits. The dragon is trying his best to mimic the true Lord and his kingdom. And he's trying to do that in order to make it easy for us to embrace his alternative. The dragon wants us to embrace his alternative to Christ and his kingdom. So it's easy for us to be deceived. It's easy for us to be pressured into buying what he's selling. But we're called to recognize and resist his frauds and his fakes for what they are and to stay true to Jesus no matter what. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, as we consider your word together this morning, we pray for the spiritual wisdom that is from above. We ask that you would teach our minds and change our hearts and renew our souls and keep us in your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 13, starting in verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea, 
with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon, gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name, and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. <clears throat> it also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a lot confusing in there, I'm sure. <clears throat> um, last week in chapter 12, we saw that the dragon, the devil, again, is our main enemy. He's the invisible spiritual enemy behind the visible enemies that the church faces in the world. The Lord Jesus has conquered him. Past tense, it's already done. And so have we, past tense, it's already done, uh, through faith in Jesus. We've conquered the dragon through faith in Jesus. So... The dragon's main power is broken, and his days are numbered, but now, in the time between Christ's ascension and his return, the dragon is thrashing around like a wounded animal, trying to do as much damage as he possibly can before his time is up. And so at the end of chapter 12, it says that the dragon became furious with the woman, that is the church, the people of God, became furious, enraged, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And it says, And he stood on the sand of the sea. 
So that begins a series of these diabolical parodies that continues throughout our chapter. Uh, Earlier in Revelation, in chapter 10, it said that John saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven who set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And so this is Christ's angel. It's either Christ himself or, or his Holy Spirit straddling the sea, which is again representative of the Gentiles, and the land representative of the Jews. So he's the Lord of all. That's what that means. It's a mighty vision of his universal lordship. Jesus rules all the nations. Jesus brings true unity between Jews and Gentiles in his, in his body, in the church. He straddles the land and the sea. <clears throat> the dragon can only manage to stand on the beach. <laughs> he's kind of getting wet in the breakers there. right? That's what he can manage. But he's positioning himself right there at the border, at the boundary line between the Jews and the Gentiles in order to try to copy Christ's efforts. That's why he's there on the beach, to try to copy Christ's efforts to bring an evil counterfeit unity between the Jews and Gentiles in order to make war against the true international people of God. So God has, here's a bunch of these counterfeits. God has created us in his image. He's breathed the spirit of life, the breath of life into us. In Christ, we're renewed in his image and we receive the anointing of the spirit of Christ as Christ himself breathes out the Holy Spirit onto us. In the dragon's counterfeit, the sea beast looks like the dragon, sort of like in his image. They have the same number of heads, seven heads, and same number of horns, ten horns. The land beast is also sort of in his image. He speaks like a dragon. The land beast causes people to make an image of the sea beast, and that probably means this false temple community that is uh, animated by false breath, by a false spirit, a spirit against Christ. Uh, God gives all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus to be shared with his people so that we rule with him. The dragon imitates, and he gives his power and his throne and his authority, in verse 2, to the imperial authorities of Rome to be used against the church, or uh, in verse 12, the religious authorities of Jerusalem exercise the same authority, right? So there's this, this, this giving of power and authority that the dragon is trying to emulate or imitate. <clears throat> Jesus, on one hand, died on the cross. He really died. He was all the way dead, and he rose from the dead in his resurrection. The counterfeit version in verse 3, one of the sea beast's heads seems to have a mortal wound, seems to have a mortal wound, doesn't die, but its mortal wound was healed. And a lot of scholars, commentators, think that this probably was a reference to the great fire in Rome in 64 AD where the city is decimated, right? But the the historians think actually was a fire that was set by the command of the emperor Nero himself. Like he committed arson and um, had, it, had it done, had the city burned down in order to rebuild things how he wanted, in order to build himself a, a great new palace, Uh, But then he blamed the fire on the Christians, sparking greater persecution of them. Right? So Jesus, Jesus on the one hand, is he's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. The counterfeit version, verse 11, the land beast has two horns that are like a lamb, meaning that the strength of the land beast is like the lamb's strength. It's it's an appearance of uh, a religious sacrificial kind of a strength. 
Jesus did many signs that attested to the kingdom of God, and he warned his disciples that frauds would come after him, doing signs that would deceive them and lead them away. The land beast was able to put on a performance, it says, to perform, actually, to perform great signs and deceive many people. Uh, later in Revelation, Jesus is seen crowned with many diadems, signifying his beauty and his majesty. The dragon and the sea beast both sport diadems on their heads, and everybody's really impressed by them, and everybody worships them. The one true God is worshipped throughout the scriptures, and his faithful people say over and over again, Who is like you? There's none like you to Yahweh. But the sycophants of the sea beast say, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? Um, the military might of imperial Rome was awe-inspiring. You could say, who is like Rome? Nobody was ever like Rome. It's awe-inspiring if you're into that sort of thing. But in all these things and more, more of these counterfeits throughout the passage, the dragon and his counterfeits really are, are cheap knockoffs, cheap imitations of the real thing. We've already seen the power of the dragon extinguished. right? The worshippers of the sea beast, the worshippers of imperial Rome say... Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Well, <clears throat> the dragon who's behind the beast, his power's been defeated already. When he fought against Michael, and Michael means who is like God, <laughs> um, when he fought against Michael, the dragon was the one who was unable to fight, and who fought in vain, and who lost. <clears throat> and so he makes a big show, right? The dragon makes a big show, a big display of his kind of power, the power to unite people in a common hatred, the power to unite people with a common complaint, a common enemy, the power of fear, and the power of brutality, the power to pressure people to conform to his ways. The dragon flexes those muscles to trick us or to intimidate us into buying what he's selling. He's offering us counterfeit security, counterfeit acceptance, counterfeit belonging, counterfeit power in his counterfeit kingdom. So the churches to whom John was writing were facing these beastly powers, right? Rome and Jerusalem combined. And they were feeling the pressure to go along to get along. The Jewish religious authorities uh, had definitely despised imperial Rome. They resented the fact that they were occupied by Rome. But they had already done an infernal team-up against Jesus in order to crucify Jesus. They'd already done that. The Jews had accused Jesus of high treason, which was a crime that the Romans couldn't afford to ignore, right? The people of the land, the Jews, had shouted, We have no king but Caesar. And Jesus wound up on the cross because of their infernal team-up. And the same Jews, with the same mindset and the same approach, would later pursue and expose Christians and point out to the fact, expose them to the Romans, pointing out that here these people refuse to make sacrifices to Caesar in the imperial temples. You can't let that go. <clears throat> Instigating uh, greater Roman persecution. So the, the land beast, the Jerusalem religious authorities, would force Christians to either worship the sea beast, worship Rome, and the imperial power of Rome, or die at the hands of the sea beast, just like they had done with Jesus. 
But we no longer have Imperial Rome or the Jerusalem authorities breathing down our necks. But the very same pressures exist, right? These empires are gone, but the same pressures exist. The dragon has his counterfeits out there, his alternatives to the true kingdom of God, and he wants us to buy what he's selling to join him and adopt his ways so that things will just go well for us. So he promotes a false unity in the world. Not a unity found inside the church, inside the kingdom of God, through the sacrifice of Christ. He promotes a false unity that's galvanized by outrage. That's what he's doing currently. And it's built around the hopes and promises of political power, his kind of power. He promotes the tyranny of the majority, or the tyranny of the very loud minority. He's made it a very popular thing, not just to blaspheme God, but to blaspheme his dwelling. That is, in verse 6, those who dwell in heaven. That's the church. To blaspheme the church. To speak evil of the church. He's made it very popular to do that. The dragon pressures people to conform, to join the chorus. Or else be cancelled. Maybe not slain. Maybe slain in some places in the world. But here, you just get cancelled. He would have Christians believe that the only way to survive, the only way to thrive, truly, in fact, the only way to see the kingdom of God and what it promises, the only way to see that come to earth is to play the same game everyone else is playing in the world. He would have us worshiping the power of the state and looking to the culture around us for permission and for approval in order to feel accepted in order to feel secure, in order to feel empowered. So that's, that's what's promised, that's the false promise of the mark of the beast, which in our passage is, is 666, right? That's the mark of the beast. I know this is confusing. A lot of people think this is uh, some mysterious code meant to identify somebody who's really bad, who you should watch out for, like Nero, Caesar, uh, who might otherwise slip under our radar, we wouldn't recognize how bad he is, and he'll just ruin everything, right? Uh, I think a lot of people think that, but it's simpler than that. Um, hopefully it's encouraging to you that it could be simpler than that. It doesn't have to be confusing. What is the mark? The mark is, the, it's, it's the name, it's on the right, uh, right hand or on the forehead. These are places where the priests of Israel were marked um, with the blood of the sacrifice. Uh, it's, it's the dragon's counterfeit version of the seal that's placed on God's people, right? That's what the, the mark of the beast is. It's a counterfeit to the true baptism into the name of the true God. It's a counterfeit identity. It's a counterfeit belonging to a counterfeit kingdom. The mark is this number that means I'm part of the group that plays the dragon's game in order to survive in this world and in order to thrive in this world. I play the dragon's game. And it's a number, right? It's not just three sixes. Usually you hear it, six, six, six. That's literally not what it is in Greek. It's a number, 666. And it shows up somewhere else in scripture. It shows up in one place, which kind of makes it easy for us to figure out what this is about. <laughs> uh, in 1 Kings chapter 10, it says, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon 
annually was 666 talents of gold, right? His annual imports of gold was a certain amount of weight of gold. It's a lot of gold, 666 talents. Solomon had been expressly forbidden by God from doing three things. Three things that would have made him just like all the other kings in the world. He was not to multiply gold and silver. He was not to multiply horses and chariots. And he was not to multiply his wives. You can remember it. uh, Wealth, weapons, and women. He was not to multiply wealth, weapons, and women. But he multiplied all those things. And he chased after the promises that the dragon held out through them. The promises of worldly power and, and pleasure and security. So that very specific number, 666 is the number of a man, it's a number of Solomon. It's the number that marked Solomon as a sellout. It's like having sellout stamped on his forehead. That's what that number means. That's what that mark means. And the result of Solomon's sellout was the division and the exile of the kingdom. He already had the kingdom of God. He already had the kingdom of God, but he sought the dragon's counterfeits and he lost the true kingdom. So the mark for us, it's not some literal tattoo on your forehead. It's not some microchip under the skin on your wrist. It's not that stuff, right? The mark is a sign of one's sellout to fit in in the dragon's world to get along. It's a sign that identifies one with the world so that one doesn't get canceled by the world. It's a sign of one's pursuit of the counterfeits that the dragon offers, as if we didn't already have acceptance and security and power and unity, all these things that the dragon's offering, as if we didn't already have them in the kingdom of God. We already have Jesus. We already have the true resurrection in him. We already have the true kingdom and power and glory in him. We already have true unity in him. And I think that that last point is worth a bit of expansion in light of current events. We already have true unity in Christ. In our culture right now, you have a lot of people uniting in moral outrage. And the point of it is they're uniting in the pursuit of a unity. A unity that will always remain elusive. A unity that will always be just out of reach. But if you don't get on board with it, if you don't share the outrage and you don't pursue that unity in their way, then you get canceled. I've used that word a few times. You can look it up on Wikipedia. It's called the cancel culture, where if you say the wrong thing, you'll be shunned and ostracized and demonized. You might not be killed, but it's effectively the same thing. You'll lose all moral credibility. You'll lose your job. You're you'll lose your ability to make wealth, to do business in the community and society. Everyone on social media will call down eternal imprecations on you, condemning you. If you fail to demonstrate the exemplary piety of the cultural religion. Here in our passage, no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, right? Unless he's totally sold out to the dragon's ways. <clears throat> no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. So every website of every major corporation has some banner right there at the top, highlighted in red, 
proclaiming their position on current events, making sure everyone knows that they haven't committed the unforgivable sin of the day so that they can be approved by the public to continue to do business as usual. So, virtue signaling, throwing out all the phrases here, virtue signaling might be a passing fad of a phrase, but it's a real thing. You've got to demonstrate to people that you're good in in the terms that everybody approves of. It's natural to do it in order to gain acceptance or to build social power or just to avoid getting canceled. But the dragon's counterfeits are always empty promises. You'll never achieve enough acceptance. You'll never be able to rest in an unshakable security and the power of fear and outrage will never bring about true life or true unity. It's never going to happen. Outside the church, you'll only find the world spinning its wheels, trying to get places where Jesus has already brought us in his kingdom. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, it says in verse 10. In Christ, you already have the righteousness of God in your account as a free gift of his grace. In spite of your being thoroughly unrighteous, you have no virtue to signal in and of yourself, and you have absolutely no need to signal your virtues, to impress anybody, even to believe yourself a good person. You don't need to believe that about yourself in order for the righteousness of God himself to be credited to you. In Christ, there's no fear of being canceled. God promises so many times he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even if your own mother forgets you, he will never forget you. He'll never shun you or ostracize you or humiliate you publicly. You are accepted in the Beloved. You've already found belonging among his people. We already have the true unity between people of every tribe and tongue and nation in the church because, past tense, he's already made peace between us through his body, through his blood, at the cross. You already have true power to live like the king himself. All the resources that were available to Jesus, to the king, the true Lord, You have those resources, the power of love, the power of the Holy Spirit who's been poured out into our hearts. You already have Jesus, and you already have his kingdom. Why sell out and chase the dragon's counterfeits? Not only is he rather unoriginal, he will never deliver on his promises. He can't do it. So why? Why sell out? I think we can all understand why someone would sell out. It's because the pressures are great. And the pressures are constant. Because life in this world would be easier, it would be more comfortable if we just played the same game everybody else was playing. But the greatest comfort of all comes from knowing we share in the life of Christ. Our king faced the pressures that we face. His life was a life of discomfort. And he found no relief ever through an alliance with the dragon's world. As it says in James chapter 4, friendship with the world... An alliance with the world is enmity with God. So Jesus didn't play that game, didn't play the dragon's game. His endurance and his faith got him great suffering and death, and he despised the shame of those things because those things really are evil. Great suffering and death really are evil. But he suffered them. He suffered the evil of the dragon and his beasts 
for the joy that was set before him, and he rose in immortal power to give eternal life to the people of his delight. We're the people of his delight. We're granted to share in his life. We're granted to share in his sufferings. We're granted to share in his authority and his glory and his love. So you hold on to that. This is a call to endurance and faith. Hold on to that and beware of counterfeits. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the sheer number of enticing alternatives to you and to your your kingdom uh, is mind-boggling. It's overwhelming. <clears throat> Even if we can't discern or articulate all the counterfeits that are swirling around us in the world, please help us to hold fast to you, to be single-minded in our purpose of holding fast to you and to the gospel of your kingdom. We can easily deceive ourselves into selling out. We pray that you would please break through everything that would keep us from you and help us to respond to your call for endurance and faith. We pray in your name. Amen.